Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 55 for August 31st, 2006, Application Sandboxes. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. The last day of the month, and in some ways the last day of summer, let's check in with Steve Gibson. And you, survi- you survived your cruise. I survived the cruise. The ship did not go down, unless it did, in which case I'm doing this podcast posthumously. <laughs> and if it is, please don't cry. What a horrible thought, Leo. We, the we, last we, podcast. We might have lost you in the ar- in the uh, Arctic. Yeah. Well, no, I can't. You know, this uh, we're taping this obviously before I leave on the cruise, but uh, it's going to be an Alaska cruise, and it's it's a geek cruise, but it's kind of an unusual one because it's chess. We're taping this. Shh. No one knows if I have. Tape is not quite the word we use. Uh, exactly. I say film on the TV show too. I just—I guess I'm an old timer. I'm an old timer. No, we're actually there's no tape involved in the creation of these. It's all bits. Once it leaves the microphone and gets into the mixer, it all's bits. Yeah. Well, when you referred to Mitch Miller last week, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that pretty much did it. <laughs> that was uh, it. They knew. They knew. Uh, I'm uh, not. They, pretty the soon jig. I'll be saying the internet's a series of tubes and it'll be all over. The jig is up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the uh, chess cruise is fun because uh, the, uh, I've been working on a lecture for it. Um, and they let me go on, you know, these geek cruises if I do a lecture. And I, you know, I'm, I, I played chess as a high school kid, but I never, I'm not a great player by any means, just a, you know, an average club player. But I always loved the game. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do a lecture on the history of chess playing machines because oh. in, in many ways the history of computing is parallel to the history of these chess playing machines. It was inspired. Babbage was inspired by a chess playing automaton to think of a computer of a machine that could think. Uh, Turing um, and many others have been, you know, heavily influenced by the idea of making a computer that could play chess. So there's, there's well, and and in fact, of course, it was one of the it was the holy grail of the original AI movement back in the seventies. Precisely. You know, it's interesting. What I found in my research is uh, it's solved and it is no longer used in AI as a goal in any means. They they no no, no longer interesting. It's huh? not interesting. They feel they've solved the problem. So what do they use now? They use the game of Go, which is hideously complex. It's a 19 by 19 board, and it's much more uh, uh, positional and intuition-based. It's very hard to calculate. Well, and of course, they, they, they solve chess by cheating. They, well, they say that, but, you know, they're pretty good. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it, you know, the, the way they wanted to solve it was by getting a machine to understand right. chess. Right. I mean, that was the point of artificial to intelligence. It was, yeah, exactly. To, well, to understand. And, and what they're really doing is the machines have just gotten so fast and so parallel. And they, and they've got all these opening books that are that are pre-programmed in. They still have judgment. That, they still have to do some judgment. They can't just – there are more positions possible than you could calculate even today. Right. Well, so, and so they're doing alpha beta pruning, exactly. uh, pruning and, and, and determining what, what, what directions make sense for further exploration. I mean, Precisely. 
a ton of technology in there, but it, they didn't end up doing it the way they thought no, they were no, going to end no, up doing it. No, they don't think. But I think maybe that's a moral in some ways, is that machines won't really think in the way that humans think, but they can be made to accomplish the same tasks in a way that's un- to mimic in a way that's unique to machines they th- they think but not as humans do i guess you could say and that's exactly what the, uh, the conclusion of the talk is is uh, what have we learned and it's just it is it's a very interesting uh, area i don't i somehow i'd like to get this information up on the net maybe i can figure out a way to do that but well, t- uh, are, are you going to record your speech? Yeah. Maybe I'll just yeah. put a recording up. That'd be the yeah. best thing to do. And they're actually very good recordings. There's a two-hour uh, video from the Association of Computing Machinery, the uh, ACM, that was done a, a couple of years ago at the uh, Computer uh, History Museum uh, with, with many of the pioneers in the field. And uh, it's just and it's fascinating. Uh, well, you can just start that up and then go hit the buffet. I was thinking of that. <laughs> you know, I could talk, but why should I talk when you can get David Levy and, you know, the guy who invented Lisp? I mean, some really brilliant guys here telling you the story. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm going to maybe I'll show some clips from it. But uh, that's on Google Video, though. I'll put a link in the show notes if people want to know more about that. Enough of that. We want to talk about security. Yep. Anything to uh, cover from previous episodes before we head into our topic of the week? I think not this time. So what's the topic of the week, I guess? This week, in our continuing series on virtual machine technology, I want to talk about application sandboxes. All right. It's a it's a really interesting topic, and 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 the way it fits into the spectrum is also sort of interesting. We've we started off talking about you remember of course the the original history of virtual machines back when Mitch Miller was still singing. Um, <laughs> then we then we talked about VMware, mm-hmm. which I would consider that sort of like medium weight. To or maybe heavyweight virtualization. I mean, it, it it's really kind of is the current it's, the current state of the art. Yeah. Yeah. Although last week we talked about Blue Pill, which is which is like, in a sense, it's like super heavyweight virtualization in right. the sense that it's even it operates at a level underneath where VMware operates, um, and and there there's another application range which is the the topic for this week and that is sort of lightweight virtualization lighter weight virtualization and and what the effects are and then and the trade-offs and so forth all right the uh, an interesting uh, and now 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 that we have like several perspectives on virtualization we have enough that we can sort of we, we we can develop a way of thinking sort of generically about this notion of virtualization levels. For example, what the the SVM uh, technology in the Pacifica uh, um, technology that, that AMD developed uh, and Vanderpool's uh, the VT technology from Intel. We talked what, about all these last week, but they're essentially built into the chip hardware virtualization technologies, right? Well, well exactly. And and what, what the, the way to think about them is that, that they create virtual chips. That is, the, they, they virtualize the processor engine itself so that multiple operating systems believe these are multiple processors so they're they're like they're virtualizing the, the at the hardware level to create multiple multiple instances of the computer system hardware virtually hmm 
And so that I mean, and 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 that's an important pay, uh, an important way to look at it because then the next level up is it's it's software running on normal hardware, which uses some of the processor features to to create the illusion of multiple chips, so that you can run a process, so that you can run operating systems. Um, in multiple on the platform. The point mm. is that you don't actually have the same level of hardware virtualization. So you've got to do a lot more work, which is where VMware is. So, so order- it's almost like time slicing the processor to make it look like they're multiple processors. Well, it, well it, it's doing exactly that. And it's also having to play a lot of games to make up for the fact that you don't actually have virtual processor support which our our next generation 64-bit chips will have and all of that uses up cycles and so makes it less efficient right and and so so as, as we come higher then then you might think of an operating system itself as providing virtual environments for its applications for example, you know, I can run DOS, a DOS shell or DOS program in a DOS box. And as we talked about several weeks ago, that DOS program thinks it's on DOS. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, it was, it was a software that was written 20 years ago for <laughs> MS DOS or PC DOS. And I mean, and it's, um, as I mentioned, it's in order to put data on the screen, it's writing characters directly to, you know, B800 hex buffer. And, but the point is that the operating system has virtualized DOS. It's created a virtual DOS environment pretending to be DOS. So, so that's like the uh, the next level up in the in, in this notion of like virtual layer architecture and so uh, and and then you could argue that you know that applications themselves are able to create virtual containers like how word can be uh, can be ex- can be editing multiple documents at the same time so so the you know the document sort of doesn't have the awareness that a, pr- a running program does right. but 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 you know it's so there there are these layers well one of the one of the interesting things that we're beginning to see and this is really an offshoot of of security and privacy concerns is this notion of sandboxes we we originally talked about it when we began this series in in the context for example of the the well-known java virtual machine the 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 jvm the idea being and this was you know sun's concept from the start was that they would they would create a virtual architecture in which you could run this java bytecode the java bytecode would I mean it you it could be implemented in an actual hardware architecture but it wasn't designed to it was designed to be emulated so that the so you so this java virtual machine is an emulator of a sort of a fictitious machine that was never actually that never actually existed and the point is that that kind of emulation allows you to sandbox the java meaning that because the emulator is is the is actually doing all the work that is the the java is not intel 
or 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 power pc or whatever chip it's not the the assembly language or the machine code of the chip it's it's a it's a an abstraction of this machine because the emulator is reading those instructions and doing what it chooses with them we, the there is a you're able to impose a very rigid set of of strictures over what the code is able to do so so for and and thus the so-called java sandbox the idea being that it's safe to run java because unless the the enclosing emulator the virtual machine wants to have the program access the hard drive or access the net or do whatever it wants the program can't it's entirely beholden to what the emulator is willing to do for it unless there's a hole of course an exploiter a security bug but uh, exactly i'm so assuming exactly. A, per- a perfectly written vm exactly and and so that so so that's the theory well now we now we have you know windows or mac or linux we have we have operating systems that are very complicated and and have this concern with 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 both with privacy and security and so the question is how can we and can we use this virtual machine technology in in some way to 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 create enclosures or sandboxes around our own applications around applications where where we want them not to be able to reach out uh, and and touch our hard drives or send data out on the internet in order to 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 work behind our backs so what has sprouted up is a bunch of a bunch of utility sort of software which which pretends or purports or tries to 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 create this sort of technology now um it's confusing because uh, in, in my in my updating myself on on the the state of the art here, uh, as I did for this podcast, I found all kinds of claims being made by by these sandboxing programs, which are, which are just not true. What's happened is that this, because of the upsurge of of excitement and popularity about virtual machines, they're all now saying, "Oh, you know, we creates a virtual computer within your computer." Okay, except it doesn't. Um, in, in most cases, there are well, well, for example, there there there's a program called Sandbox IE or Sandboxy as it's normally called. Um, there's one called Green Border. There's uh, um, uh, Fortress Grand has has several sandboxing programs. A virtual sandbox version one is free. Version two you pay for. Um, there's a company called Metropipe that has something called the Portable Virtual Privacy Machine. There's a there there's VE Lite from a company called Secure OL. Uh, a product called Buffer Zone. One called RunSafe. You know there's a bunch of utilities which are jumping onto this bandwagon of so-called virtualization and using that term improperly. Now, I actually mentioned one which is not using it improperly, um, and that's um, this portable virtual privacy machine from a company called Metropipe. They're actually, they've packaged uh, the the QEMU, Q-E-M-U um, uh, emulator 
and and I mean actually trying to get Linux to boot. In my experiments with it, um, it fired up a a DOS window. It it looked you know I saw the signs of a BIOS that was booting. It even began to decompress the Linux kernel. Then it all exploded. So, <laughs> so it's like, well. okay, well, and I thought, well, maybe it doesn't like my machine, so or or you know, I I don't need to reboot normally very often, so I I shut everything down and restarted Windows, and this is Windows 2000 that I'm still using on my main uh, workspace, and uh, and I tried it again, and it decompressed the Linux kernel, and then exploded. It's like, okay, well, I I'm not recommending that one, uh, and in in any case, apparently it is an emulator and is very slow there are some uh, qemu has moved forward with its technology to to take advantage of more virtualization hardware that's available but uh, apparently it's still got a ways to go Hmm. um okay so so what sandboxing does is two things um or or the way to think about these sandboxing solutions uh one is security which is for protection from malware. The idea that you could you could run IE or Firefox or Opera or whatever inside a sandboxed environment where it would be unable to do anything to your machine. So so security is one aspect. The other is privacy because I mean a real concern for people, especially for example if they're at a friend's house or they're using a public computer or you know they don't it's not their own machine the idea of leaving footprints behind you know i mean that we know that browsers have caches that that keep cached images of 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 um of chunks of web pages that have been downloaded, they they have you know past URL libraries. They're they're constantly storing cookies on your machine, and of course, traditionally, I mean, there've been horror stories throughout history, throughout the internet history of employers, you know, checking employees' browser caches to you know see what where they've been and what they've been doing, and often finding. Um, let, let's just say stuff on the computer that seems non-work related. Mm-hmm. So, so the idea is, from a privacy standpoint, is you know, can we can we use this sandboxing technology to basically securely wipe out any trace of what we've done? Now, I ought to say that that VMware or virtual PC, you know, the, the, the real industrial strength, true virtual machine systems, which are available from, from VMware and Microsoft, those are creating a, a true OS boot environment and really offer robust containment. Unfortunately, none of these other sandbox utilities do that. What what they do is clever, and 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 useful and valuable, and in some cases free. And I'm gonna I'll talk about some specifics here in a second. But I wanna I wanna explain the technology so that people understand the limitations and don't ask or trust these things further than they should. Mm. What they're doing is exactly like what we've talked about many times in the past. In fact, just recently, when we were talking about Blue Pill, and I was talking about how rootkits uh, get into the kernel and, and intercept functions 
in the operating system for the for the specific reason of hiding themselves they will unlink themselves from the process list so that simple process exploring won't reveal them they will they will filter the the application program interface the api that the operating system publishes to its applications they'll filter that so that any reference to them is removed in in the applications you know uh, uh, listing the directory contents of the drive well what the sandbox programs are all doing is the same it's a it's a it's a oftentimes there are kernel level components because they need to get into the system in a deep way but they are they then filter the operating system functions which programs need to use in order to store stuff persistently on the hard drive so for example they will intercept the 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 file open and the file read and the file write calls that applications make to the operating system in order to perform disk io they will intercept and filter the registry reading and updating modifying writing calls in order to to in, essentially to impose a layer of supervision between the application and the operating system now it's cool and it works but it, you can't trust it and and that's the problem oh. is that they're 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 overselling what the technology can can really be used um to guarantee and so i want to i mean i i i want to end up talking about how valuable these things are and where they're valuable but but to explain that that this is something which is inherently error prone and accident prone if if applications and i mean and and, and it sort of comes back to what joanna was talking about with blue pill the idea being that if software knows if some software knows what other software is doing it can work around it and so the 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 problem with these sandboxing programs which are not true which are not creating true virtual machine environments is you know the the the, the problem is that the the program is still running on the operating system and if it if the program wanted to work itself around containment it almost certainly can so we're back in sort of that cat and mouse game where if the program, you know, uh, you know, the traditional virus antivirus program, malware anti malware, cat and mouse. The idea being that that you're trying to erect an artificial barrier to restrict the things that uh, that a program can do, but you're using software to impose the restrictions. Well, there are other ways to achieve the same things using non-traditional or undocumented operating system calls that may not be filtered and interposed or are too burdensome to filter and interpose so so i i would never absolutely trust something that was that was one of these pseudo virtualization solutions from a security standpoint now that's different than from a privacy standpoint and that's where i think these can have real value um 
So, so I just want to make sure that, I, that I've, I've been clear. The these pseudo virtualization sandboxes, and and I should say that I'm, I've got them all listed with links and URLs and and some some comments on the the episode notes page on off of you know for for the, for this episode number fifty five on security now. So I so I've got them listed. I I ran through them briefly, but people can go there, and I, I'll be talking about one in particular in a second um, that I that I like most based on everything that I've seen and, and sort of doing a quick review of all these options that, that I've been able to find. But but the true virtualization, for example, that VMware creates and virtual PC creates, where they're where they're actually booting an operating system and you are then or or, or again I should say also also say the VMware player that we talked about several weeks ago. VMware player that's booting uh, you boot to Ubuntu Linux and then running Firefox. I mean, there you're talking seriously good security. Mm-hmm. Be- because because the browser is now running in an entire operating system which is running inside of a of, of a virtual machine environment and and this the security is is virtually absolute the user still has to be responsible for not allowing network exploits that is you know that this thing is only useful probably if it's on the internet so you need to make sure that it has access to the internet and not back into your own computer's network or it can you know play file sharing games what, or whatever let me ask you about that what kind of barrier is there I I mean, if I get a, a SAS or a Zotub, a network-aware virus in the virtual machine, can it spread to the real machine? Yes. Okay. Um, it- if you enable those features, for example, one of the one of the the things that VMware allows is is shared file access. It's very convenient, and in fact, I use it all the time. As I've mentioned before, I'll have a many virtual machines created, each with a different personal software firewall installed, and I'm jumping between them. Well, it's it's very convenient to, for all for the, to allow all of them to see a shared directory on my real physical hard drive. So, you know, so V. VMware wants to offer that feature because it's a convenience, but it, of course, with that comes a security consequence. And and similarly, so you shouldn't assume the virtual machine is absolutely impervious. It isn't. Right. It. it uh, I would say the best way to express it would be that a a true virtual machine environment like VMware or Virtual PC or Parallels or you know one of those where you're actually booting an operating system within that containment it is a a, an incre- a virtually secure tool but uh, like any tool it can be misused if you download a file in that machine and then drag it right. out of the virtual environment onto your real desktop right well you've just breached that barrier right Got it. So okay, so so I wanted to just be be very clear about what this distinction is. Now these virtual these these pseudo virtual environments that unfortunately tend to oversell themselves because they just love that word virtual because everyone thinks oh that's good. The problem is they're not running in 
a sec I mean in a true secondary instance of an operating system that you had to install the benefit is that they're much lighter weight that is they're easier to install remember I mentioned that VMware is a is a heavy installation I mean it's creating virtual adapters and it's you know it takes a while I mean you you've you've made a commitment when you've even stuck the VMware player on your system it's something that you know you don't just casually walk around with, with a, a USB dongle and 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 do it to me machines that you encounter although that time may be coming given uh, hardware support for virtualization that may not be so hard to do down the road ah oh, that I mean that's a very good point leo you could imagine in this next generation with 64-bit hardware virtualization you could say give me an empty give me an empty machine right. and run this operating system in it and it would be you know instantaneous it'd just be like hitting a hotkey yeah okay so so what these pseudo virtual sandboxes do is they interpose themselves between the application and the operating system attempting to to hook and filter any way that the application could could make a permanent change to the operating system you want them not to be able to do that so um, and, and, and they they really vary in their capabilities um, Based on what I saw, one that I would recommend that people play with if they're interested in, in experimenting with this is this is the first one I called. It started off being a sandbox for IE, therefore its name was Sandbox IE or Sandboxy. It's just S A N D S A N D B O X I E dot com. What I like about it is that it appears to be very good. I mean, these guys have got ActiveX running in a virtual container. It, it's, go, it's gone way beyond IE. You can pretty much sandbox any browser and application that you want to. Um, it is very lightweight. It's, a, it's about a 245K, 245K, so, so less than a quarter megabyte download which expands to about a megabyte, about 900K um, in, in a directory. You can install it without rebooting, and it worked just beautifully for me. There were several others that, I mean, just ground my system to a halt. All kinds of errors coming up, files couldn't be found. I mean, basically, it was a disaster. The The, the one that I, that I was hoping I was going to be able to like and recommend um, is about an 8-megabyte download. Mm-hmm. It's called... Um, it's called the Virtual Sandbox Free Edition, version one. It's from this this uh, Fortress Grand uh, Corporation, and I've got, I've got a link on my, on my show notes. Uh, the problem was, I mean, it offered lots of control, nice UI, but it just didn't work. I mean, it was like okay. And what was really con- uh, disturbing um, is I couldn't figure out how to get rid of it. It it put nothing in add remove programs list. Um, it had installed itself deeply in my machine with all kinds of DLLs and stuff. I mean, it was you know it, it was a, a serious install. And I thought, oh no, now I'm stuck with this. Well, the good news is running the setup program a second time. It saw that it was installed and it offered to uninstall, but there was no documentation I could find anywhere that that indicated that that's how you do that. It was, you know, just like okay, I'll, I hope this works. But but anyway, the the one I like is this is this Sandboxy. Um, it is fully functional in its free version and offers additional 
features if you register, but you really need not register. The way it works, uh, I would describe it as file-level sandboxing. When you... When you set it up, and for example, you want to run, you want to sandbox IE or or, or Firefox. You want it. You want to sandbox your browser. Um, the first time you use the browser, basically, it's monitoring everything the application does. Um, if the browser, for example, opens its cache files in order to in order to create a place for the browser's caching of 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 images and other web objects to go, Sandboxy makes a shadow copy of that file. Whatever any files that your applications open, Sandboxy makes a shadow copy of that file. Now. If the file is open for read-only access, meaning that that file handle that the application has created can only be used for reading, Sandboxy is smart enough to see, oh, you know, this handle that's been created cannot be used for modifying the file. So it will, it's smart enough not to make a shadow copy. Unfortunately, many applications will open a file for full access, for read and write access, even if they're only going to be reading. Sandboxy has no choice but to make a copy of that file in its in sort of the, in, in, in its shadow land in order to then intercept any modifications the application makes. So, so the point is that um, what I found in using it is that there's a it's a little sluggish getting going because it's having to to make copies of stuff that the application touches when it starts up, but but once you've sort of got that little bit of sluggishness behind you, and I should mention I'm using you know an older, uh, I've got a dual 866 megahertz Pentium, is it three or four? Well, I, I can't think remember it would be now. Sluggish on that. Yeah, I mean I, I know I'm I just I've got so much installed here I'm reluctant to move to a different hardware platform. Oh, it's like that, you know yeah. that nightmare of setting up Windows from scratch. Yeah. But anyway, so, um, uh, so. In my experience, this thing really works. The guys who've developed it have been working on it for years. They've got they've got interception for DCOM and RPC, ActiveX support, COM object support. Um, I, I'm I'm very impressed with with Sandboxy and with what it does for free. I would uh, well, and and the other application that I like so much is because it's lightweight. It installs without a reboot. It really would be possible for you to either have it on a dongle or to like maybe email yourself a copy to your to your Google Mail account so you'll always have it available mm. if you were in at a friend's house you were uh, at some other corporate location my, 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 my point is that this is a sandbox which installs smoothly and cleanly I need to mention it only does run under newer operating systems because it uses all the API functions of Windows 2000 and on so 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 2000 and XP are the platforms where it can be used none of these things that i have found will run back on 9598 no, and me they're no. just you know those are just too old now but but the beauty of it being so lightweight and the fact that it really does work is if you wanted to use someone else's computer over which you didn't have long-term supervisory control you could quickly install sandboxy and do anything you wanted to within the sandbox 
with absolute confidence that when you shut it down and and these files are deleted, no change has been left on the hard drive, no change has been left in the registry. And so for 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 from a standpoint of real easy lightweight privacy, I think it's a tremendous solution. I mean, I I don't I don't know of any reason why it wouldn't also protect you from a security standpoint. I just know that that's inherently dangerous. It's you don't know assume you, that it will. You, right, right. I mean, it's you know, they say it does. I respect these guys, but again, you know, there are principles of, of of security which are inviolate, and one of them is using software to block other software is inherently prone to error. It's just you know it's trying to filter what the soft what malicious software wants to do, and if malicious software knew you were it was in a sandboxy sandbox or any of these other ones for that matter, I have to imagine there was a way around it. But but the for the purpose of privacy protection, I really like this because it's it's lightweight, it's easily portable. It would allow you to use someone's computer with complete confidence that once you're done, you have left absolutely no trace behind. Because there on the privacy side, I'm sure their technology is robust. So how much is sandboxy? It's free. I like it. Yeah, it is free. You get some additional features if you register, and it's, I don't remember, I think it's maybe $19 or $20 to register. I mean, very inex- maybe even less than that. I, I don't remember. Is it but, XY or XIE? Uh, sandbox IE, so, because it's, it started its life as an IE sandbox, uh-huh, but, but that was back in version 1. They're at version 2.65. They've even got a version that now runs on 64-bit Windows, or 64-bit platforms, rather, Windows on 64-bit platforms. I'm, I'm very impressed. I think, you know, given the, all the ones that I was able to find, there were some that were, you know, that were much larger, much heavier weight. Some were frightening. I mean, in in the in what they did to your system. My feeling is, if you want if you want your system to have, you know, a industrial strength sandbox, then VMware Player with. Uh, uh, Ubuntu and Firefox right, right. that we talked about. I mean, it, it's you install it once, then you've got a killer sandbox which is running the full operating system in containment, or, uh, or, 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 or you know, Microsoft's virtual PC. So, um, similarly, so so if if it's on your own system and you want real security and the same kind of sandboxing, because of course those also give you the same sort of privacy guarantees in a in a cleaner fashion. In, in as much as it's a virtual machine and this stuff really does work from VMware and Microsoft, that's what I would recommend. But if your interest, for example, is portable privacy, where you want to be able to use a machine temporarily and absolutely know, you know, you want to you want to use Google Mail, uh, which is web-based, and know that no images that you display, nothing that you've downloaded, no cookies that have been left behind, no login credentials. I mean, oh, these things also say that they are, you know, are 
protection from keystroke loggers. Well, I mean, that just makes me roll my eyes. Because I mean, they're obviously not. That's ridiculous. You just, you, you can't. It's just, you know. it could you be hardware. There's so many ways to do this. Yeah. Exactly. So they're, they're making claims that are not possible for them to guarantee. But from the privacy standpoint, I think these are, I think sandboxy. I mean, and the other ones too. But the other ones are frightening. I mean, they, they just, they, they hurt your system. It's like, so, ooh, ooh. This you could run off of a, of a memory of a flash uh, th- a thumb drive. Well, you can't run it off of the thumb drive, but it's so small you can that install it would, from it. I get it. I get yes, it. You, you you could literally store it on a two fifty six meg thumb drive right. just to always have it with you. On the other hand, it is so small that if you if you had a server that you know where you knew you could access it, and that, that that's why I sort of like the idea. You know, either one of those it real a, quick, yeah. a free fi- a free file site, or just send it as an attachment to yourself right. in Google, right. and then you could always access oh, that yeah. in order. In order to install, I mean, Google ends up sort of being like a free files server. For Can that. you save your sandboxy uh, virtual machine and, and move that around? Um, you can you you cannot do that. It's so in that sense, it's not the robust solution that See, VMware. See, that would be great. Then, if I had uh, you know, uh, if I bookmarked things or I had cached files, I could take them with me instead of leaving them behind, which you have to do. Yeah. yeah. Um and I, I I have to say that I was I was trying to cover as many of these as I could as quickly as I could so I did not go as deep into sandboxy as 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 certainly as possible to do. They they've got a nice website, facts, you know, documentation. I mean, I just I a feel lot of good people about, have told I, me about this. So I I think you're right. I think this is probably the kind of preferred choice. Yeah, I feel good about it. Again, yeah. trust none of these. Trust no one. <laughs> trust none of these for security, right. but I would say trust all of them for privacy. That that part, I think they've probably got nailed, and it's entirely feasible to filter Windows APIs in order to enforce privacy, right. in order to like keep shadow copies of files. And uh, and I would I, if the idea of, of like this kind of portable, transportable privacy shell is appealing to people. I, I, I really recommend our users check out Sandboxy. I, it's, I mean, it's free. I would, I, and I would really, I would support them. If you end up finding that you use it, you know, go back and give them your donation because this is the kind of thing we want to keep moving forward. And, and it's just a, I was very impressed. It did exactly what I was, what I was hoping I could find a sandbox to do. Again, it, it says it will protect you against malware and, and you know and why not i mean certainly i mean my i guess my point is it will as long as the malware isn't like really good about getting around sandboxing and i have to imagine there is a way so i'm not saying it's useless and 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 isn't useful for protecting against malware i'm i'm really sure it is but i i would never say it's absolute protection because this technology can't give you absolute protection against malware it can and i believe it does give you absolute protection of uh, or enforcement of privacy excellent excellent very useful very useful tool and once again you've uh, you've given us something to download install and uh, use to protect ourselves thank you steve i appreciate it i really think people are going to like it leo i want to uh, before we go i just wanted to mention uh, something you're familiar with the uh, the chuck norris facts website uh you know, these are facts, kind of, you know, fun facts about Chuck Norris, like uh, <laughs> like guns. You've seen this? Guns don't kill people. No, Chuck I have... Norris kills people. Uh, okay. Chuck no, Norris does not sleep. He waits. Anyway, p- people who love Chuck Norris, uh, or even who don't, just love these. They're very funny. Well, security expert Bruce Schneier 
has been is the latest to be Chuck Norris. There is a, a site oh. now, uh, Bruce Schneier Facts. Uh, and actually, they're 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 great for people who are security insiders because they'll because they'll get them. You know, Bruce Schneier knows Alice's and Bob's shared secret, or uh, uh, Whitfield Diffie and Martin Hellman use only their surnames out of fear of Bruce Schneier. <laughs> you know, Bruce Schneier mounts side channel attacks through the front channel. <laughs> Just the, if you're interested in security, it's on, Bruce Schneier's uh, posted a link on his uh, blog. That's cool. Um, Bruce Schneier once factored a prime number. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Schneier doesn't even trust Trent. Trent has to trust Bruce Schneier. <laughs> Bruce Schneier can solve NP complete problems in N log N time. They're just totally geeky, but I just yeah. thought I'd pass that along to you. I'm a little late on it because, uh, well, because we're pre-taping this and when you hear this it will be old news but i thought i'd pass it along hey steve thank you uh i will uh, see you next week in uh, toronto yep and yep. Uh, we won't record there but but we're gonna uh, we'll party down man i think we're going to appear uh, jointly on uh, uh the uh, tech file uh podcast as a matter of fact cool that'll be fun frank has asked us Should, to do it. i bring my own mic no i think frank is you know, frank i've is got well, a bit, I've, I've got a big mic. You have a big mic. If you, if you want mic. the big mic, you, maybe you better bring the big mic, but I'm sure Frank will have his own little mic. <laughs> Frank Linares does the great techfile.ca podcast, and uh, we'll be appearing on that sometime in the near future. I love my microphone. I know you do, and I love mine. You and I have the same microphone. We do. Yes. Steve Gibson, have a great week. We'll see you next Thursday. Okay, Leo. Oh, wait a minute. I can't stop. Wait a minute. Stop. <laughs> hey, where are you going? Where am I going? I got to thank a lot of people. First of all, we don't do it enough. I really want to make sure I, I, I do it more often. Thank AOL. Because yep. really, we wouldn't be able to do any of these podcasts. They provide us so much bandwidth. More than a terabyte a day now of uh, downloads. And, uh, and and you're adding two more podcasts. So And they're going to take them. I asked them and they said, yeah. we'd, we'd love to take them. Three more Fantastic. they're going to take. So uh, that's really, uh, you know, I have to say they're very, uh, very generous there uh, with their bandwidth. And I know if we had to pay for it, we, well, frankly, we wouldn't have so many podcasts. <laughs> so thank you, AOL, uh, for uh, the great job you do. We also want to thank our a sponsor who provides us with the funds uh, to make this podcast possible, Astaro Corporation, early adopters of security now, and we're glad to be your adoptees, A-S-T-A-R-O.com. They're the makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. If your small or medium business network needs superior protection from spam, viruses, and hackers, as well as a complete VPN, intrusion protection, content filtering, and an industrial strength firewall, Astaro is the way to go. Open source, powerful it really is fantastic and, and, and easy to use. And it, and it comes in a single appliance. You just plug it in and there it is. Contact Astaro, A-S-T-A-R-O dot com. Or you can call them toll free, 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O, to schedule a free trial of an Astaro Security Gateway Appliance in your business. You'll see what Astaro can do for you. And, of course, non-business users, as always, can download the uh, open source software version of ASG for home use at Astaro dot com. Steve Gibson's site is grc.com. That's where you can go to get uh, show notes for this at grc.com slash securitynow.htm or get Elaine's transcripts and the 16 kilobit versions. But while you're there, make sure you check out all of Steve's free security programs like Unplug and Pray, the Decombobulator, uh, of course, the Shields Up. How many? How many Shields Up? Is it over? It's over almost 40 million. It must be by now. Oh, no, we're at 44. 44. Last time I saw, almost 45 million. 44 million systems scanned and protected. And if you have a hard drive, 
and I think almost everybody does, <laughs> you might want to check out Spinrite. It's the it's your hard drive's best friend, the ultimate disk and recovery uh, disk recovery and maintenance utility. S P I N R I T E because Steve couldn't spell when he wrote it, uh, but he knows how to spell it right now. I like <laughs> you. It. Real, you, you realize that it was an eight dot three name. Eight dot three. That's right. It, it had to be back, eight letters. Oh. It had to be eight letters back for back in the old back in you know twenty years ago. Where Spinrite was first born, well, it still does, doesn't it? Because you uh, boot, you boot Spinrite, you put it when you download it. It's a very small file because he writes everything in assembly. It's just what is it, thirty k, sixty k? It's tiny. It's gotten a little bigger over time yeah. because there's a, there, there's now a Windows side for for creating oh, a bootable right. a bootable that's CD right. and a bootable thumb drive and so forth. Yeah. yeah, so it's you run it Spinrite six, you run it uh, in Windows, and it says, okay, what do you want to do? And uh, you create a bootable drive or a, or a thumb drive. The, I made a bootable CD, and there's DOS on that. There's free DOS or something on that, right? Right, it is free DOS, and it is FAT thirty two. So I could have used a longer file name no, now, no. but you know, R I T E. That's the name. Spinrite dot info. S P I N R I te.info, which is not, in fact, 8.3 compliant, or you can go to grc.com. <laughs> <laughs> Times have changed. We're not stuck with those three letters at the end anymore. Uh, really a great tool. And if you want to read uh, more <clears throat> uh, testimonials from happy, happy customers, spinright.info is the place to go. Steve, we uh, I think we have now wrapped up this uh, episode of Security Now. Always good, Leo. And next week, we are back to our Q&A that we punted on when we had that busy week in security a couple weeks ago. Does that mean we're going to have 24 questions? We're going to... No, we'll do t- we'll do a dozen. It'll be Q&A number 10, episode 56. I can't wait. For September 7th. We'll Thanks, Leo. We'll see you in September, as the song goes, on Security Now. Security.